Welcome, everyone. Uh, and a warm welcome, again, to everyone watching us online on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, it's good to have you see everyone here, see everybody joining us. Uh, I heard this summer an interesting piece of wisdom uh, when I was watching a video of a Canadian pastor talking about avoiding burnout. Because by about July, uh, most pastors who weren't in gigantic churches were just absolutely exhausted uh, trying to keep up with all this technology that, as you know, I still haven't mastered. Of course, you can master technology and forget to press the unmute button. Um, but uh, it was interesting because he was talking about burnout and avoiding burnout, and he said something that should have been really just self-evident and obvious, which was, okay, I know we're all looking forward to taking a vacation, and it's important to do that. It's important to take time off, but you also got to think about what you're doing while you're at work. And uh, if that's burning you out, then all the vacation in the world won't help. And if you're spending all your work time only thinking about the vacation, then you're probably going to burn out even if you don't work very much, even if you have only a few hours, but the work itself is stuff you don't like. And, you know, and, that's, and so I, I thought about what he said, and I'm like, yeah, that should be a pretty obvious thing. Uh, one of those things you should think about. Sometimes it takes someone else pointing something out to you before you realize something really obvious, right? Um, and so it ha that's why it, it helps to go and get that kind of wisdom from others. Um, but it's also part of why I thought, you know, maybe as a church it'd be good to just step back and get kind of back to basics and looking at how maybe we could rebuild our lives, our lives together in ways that don't burn us out. And it's probably, I'll admit, one of the number one uh, complaints or comments I get as a pastor when we come to try to figuring out what we should do as a church or what we can do for our mission. And the comment I get is, Pastor, I'd love to, but I'm really burned out. And or they, I hear, I used to do that for years, but now I'm burned out. Or I would love to, I got too many things going on, I'm exhausted, I can't do it. And usually the answer the pastors give is, then don't do as many things. But that's always easier said than done because we do the things we do because we like them or we think that they're necessary. You know, most of us can't live the life of a monk, you know, where we, you know, translate texts for three hours a day and spend the rest in prayer and do some gardening and bread baking on the side or something like that. That's not our lives for most of us. So, yes, there, I think there is a lot of good wisdom in not overbooking and overscheduling yourself. I'll leave that for another sermon. But again, that's not always as easy as it sounds. And even if you cut back a lot, if you cut back and the stuff you're doing makes you miserable, it won't matter if you don't do a lot of it. So I say we step back and ask a different question. What is it that God has in mind for me to do? What is it that God wants me to do? What is God's path in this? Because I've, as I've said before, part of what gets so exhausting in anything you do is trying to do it all yourself. You know, and a lot of us, I think, have experienced that in these last few months, right? You know, say you had a position and then they had to cut back. And you're glad that you still got to keep your job, but the boss didn't say, okay, because I cut those other three people, now I'm going to cut back the total workload. The boss said, I can't afford those other three people, so Jim, I need you to do four people's work now. 
And now you're going, oh great, now how do I do that? Well, there's only so many hours in a day, you only have so much time, you know, your brain only works so well, so you start triaging, and then you're trying to go, okay, I can only do so much, and then you think, okay, well maybe I'll work smarter, not harder. So then you gotta sit down and try to figure out, okay, maybe I do this better, I do that better, or do I have to learn a new skill to make this more efficient? Oh my gosh, pretty soon you realize all the decision making is exhausting. All the figuring out is exhausting. I call it decision fatigue. Just my name for it. Too much deciding, too much figuring out, too much triaging, too many choices, you know, too many potential consequences to have to sit and worry about. So that's why I say let's step back and ask a different question. Not how can I try to get it all done, but maybe what should I be doing? What does God want me to be doing? What has God given me the gifts to do that I can do without burning out and be successful at them and not have to have it all be my own energy, but maybe even the Spirit could be giving me energy to do it? This is a, these are spiritual gifts. And one that comes real handy in a time like this is wisdom. Paul says right there in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And then he goes on and he gives a list of a whole bunch more. I just want to focus on wisdom today. Because the spiritual gift of wisdom, can, it can help us through that burnout from having to constantly sit and make all these choices and all these decisions and all these hard calls. You know, I'm what, almost 48 now. I'm not ashamed to say it. Um, almost 48. I mean, like, within a week, almost 48. And I look back from time to time on the things I've done, and I wonder if I did the right thing. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you look back on your younger years, and we all, human life is kind of a contradiction, right? Because when, you have, when you're younger, you have all these big choices to make that can affect the whole rest of your life, yet you have less ability to make those choices. You know, you, you, you can make choices when you're a teenager that can send you on a path to success or that can send you on a path to not a lot of success. And you gotta decide about things like school and careers, uh, marriage, uh, there's all sorts of vices and temptations that can derail the plans you have, and you got to do it all before your brain is developed at, what, 21, 22? And so I look back, and I wonder why I did some of the things I did. And, and some things I'm like, yeah, I did that well. And those other things are like, yeah, that wasn't so smart. It's kind of like that song from the 70s. I won't try to sing it. Facebook will probably ding me for a copyright. You know, I wish that I knew now, I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger. Do, do, okay. I'll let you play it in your head, like I say, Facebook will ding me for it. YouTube will slap me with a copyright complaint. But remember that song from the 70s, right? And you think, man, what I could have done if I had that body but this mind, I could have conquered the world, you know? 
And I definitely would not have gone with the guys after the theater production out on the access road behind the city cemetery and try to show them that I can, in fact, get my turbocharged LeBaron up to 6,000 RPMs. And how, what does it sound like when you do that? Apparently, that was a cool thing. I could have burned the whole car down and gone spinning off into the tombstones. And man, that was really dumb. I wish that I knew now what I, I wish that I knew what I knew now. Right? And there's places like that where I would have shown a bit more restraint. But there's other places where I wonder if I was maybe too cautious, if I missed out on opportunities. And you see, I think we can have a tendency to equate wisdom with being cautious and playing it safe. You know, I probably erred on the side of being a little too cautious. I was one of those that was probably too old. I, I was probably an old young, young man. And always that, always that worry about consequences. The good side is you don't have a lot of bad consequences. The bad side is you look back and go, oh, man, that would have been fun and that would have been fun. You know, what's that sort of phrase we use? You got to learn to see around corners. And uh, when you're young, often you don't see around corners. You just see what's right in front of you. You know, you aren't always thinking about consequences or, or potential consequences or, or dangers. You know, and we all know the lessons, like you know the lessons that we got to give our kids about this thing. You know, and if you're in the 80s, it was all the stranger danger and the person in the car. And that's still a good lesson. But, you know, now the stranger danger isn't so much somebody in a car. It's more likely somebody on the Internet pretending to be somebody they're not. And so you got to teach that, yes, you can see all these cool things online and you can meet interesting people online, but people lie about who they are. They lie about their age. They lie about just about, gosh darn near anything. People lying online has kept MTV in business for years. And, uh, and you got to say, look, I know that we like to trust people, and I know that you're generally around people who are good and trustworthy, but listen to me when I say online, you you're better off generally being a little bit suspicious. You know? And I say, okay, you just got an email from Amazon saying that your, 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 your credit card charge was rejected and your package won't ship. And all they need is your credit card information again. And then we can ship it. And you got to say, wait, wait, wait. First of all, why would Amazon make you log in here? Wouldn't they just tell you to log in again? Secondly, why do they spell the A with a Greek letter? And why does it say Amazon, but the actual web address is sb5238.org.n-? Like, wait, why does Amazon, can't Jeff Bezos afford Amazon.com? You have to learn to be suspicious. You have to learn to be mistrusting. And unfortunately, it makes us into mistrusting kind of people. But you have to learn this kind of stuff, right? You have to learn to see around the corners, as they say. And yes, enough years of doing this, and it can kind of make you into a buzzkill. And you can get to where you start seeing danger behind absolutely everything you do and everywhere you go. I got to sir, when, when I was younger, my family had a, a van. It was a conversion van, one of those 80s red vans. We bought it used. It had plush carpet. It had curtains. I remember sitting with, uh, sit, sitting with a bunch of friends, and one, a friend of a friend, he was a cop. And I was telling him about the van. You know what he said? 
child molester van, molesters, criminals, criminals use those vans. I was like, whoa, I just thought it was fun to drive around. But I guess if that's what I did all day, I would learn that I, I would start seeing it that way. Right? You can get to where you see danger so much that all you see is danger. You know, you say, hey, why don't we all go on a hike up the mountain? It would be fun, right? And then somebody goes, well, do you know if our health insurance covers injuries on trips? Have you called the insurance company to find out if we're covered with that? If you break your leg on the mountain and we can't carry you down, we have to chopper you out. Is the chopper insurance covered? Well, you don't want to have a broken leg. And, and, and what if you know, a rock falls and it pinches your leg and, and I got to saw it off? Am I free from liability for sawing your leg off? Did you call your lawyer to find out? You got to think about these things. Because if I have to saw your leg off and then we go bankrupt, are you going to sue me to pay for your chopper bill? I ain't going. And then you're like, dude, I just want to go and see some pretty scenery. And then your friend goes, yeah, but falling off a cliff, does that sound like fun to you? Is that scenery? The ceiling of a, ceiling of a hospital room. That's some great scenery too, isn't it? Dude, man, I suppose. But if I did that, I'd, I'd never go anywhere. And to be honest with you, I trust the trail up the mountain far more than I trust whoever's walking through the quick trip. When I go to get my refill on my pop, there I said it, pop. For all of you who, yeah, okay. But if you do that, you'll never do anything, right? I mean, if every time you want to do something, you better call the insurance company and the lawyer, you ain't going anywhere or doing nothing, because everything's got a risk somewhere. And is that wise? Is it wise to do nothing? Is it wise to always play it safe? Is it wise to never venture out? Is that really what wisdom is? If that's it, I don't want to live that way. That, and I would say, that's not really what wisdom is. Wisdom isn't always doing something or not doing something. It's knowing the difference. It's knowing when to act or when to hold back. It's knowing when to speak or when to shut up. Right? It's knowing when to take the risk and when to be careful. It's knowing when to hold them and when to fold them. And when to walk away. And when to run. To run. Okay, there's at least one person here who knows the song. First service, I got eye rolls all over the place, right? But that's a great example, that song, right? The guy, he goes and he asks the gambler, the career gambler, what is your wisdom? And he, it isn't like some trick, like, oh yeah, always use the A's with the five or something like that. His whole, his whole great insight on how to be a successful gambler is just being discerning in when to act and not act. And it, well, he didn't say always bluff or never bluff. He didn't say always go big. He said you just have to know. The successful ones know the difference. They know how to discern between choices. Wisdom is knowing the difference. And it's a spiritual gift. It's a lot less flashy than tongues or prophecy. It's a lot harder to pin down and show than most of the others. But it's a super important gift. If you look at Paul's church in Corinth, and the people he's writing his letter to, this was a big issue to them, because they were new Christians, and they had a lot of figuring out to do. And so Paul comes in, and Paul would go and he'd teach them one thing. And then some traveling prophet, self-declared prophet, would come in and then tell them, no, no, Paul got it wrong. And then someone else would come in and say, no, no, they got it wrong. And they're like, well, who do I believe? 
And, and then they're sitting in the church and they're trying to figure out what do they do in the church. They needed, they needed to figure out things like, when should I make a bold stance for Christ or when should I pull back and be quiet so I don't get persecuted? And they had lots of people with really big spiritual gifts. They had people who spoke in tongues. They had people who had visions and dreams. They had people who gave prophecies. And, and then some people who gave prophecies and others who gave the opposite prophecy. So now which prophecy do I know? How do I figure this out? And Paul says the most important thing is love, but after that, we need wisdom. The gift that will help us through all this is wisdom. This is the gift that God gives us to help us know when. The gift of wisdom. You know, I sit and today, I think of all the churches that are struggling. Not just COVID, but in general. And it's a harder time to do church, certainly, than it was in the 60s. Uh, there's fewer people who go, people are more critical, the culture is more critical. Um, so, in a sense, we have to make more decisions. You know, what do we do? And we have to sit. There's a lot of places. they got to sit. Can we turn this around? Can we grow? Can we rebuild? What re can we do what we want to do with the resources we have? Can we get the young people back? They would say. And some places will kill themselves with caution. Right? They'll be so worried. They won't let the rental group in because, oh, what if somebody trips and we get sued? They won't, say, they, they won't try, a, uh, they won't have the homeless come in because, well, if an accident happens when they come in, or what about our reputation? There's a lot of churches that will kill themselves with caution. They will be so careful and so safe and so risk-free that they'll just kind of slowly die out because they never take the bold step that they need to step. And there are other places, it does happen sometimes, where they'll take too big of a step too quickly. You know, I, can, I remember places in Chicago, there was kind of a fad in the 90s, build it and they will come. Because there were some stats going around that whenever you put in a shiny new building, X number of visitors would show up. And so there were examples of, like I remember one place, uh, out in the suburbs, this pastor had been there for ages and ages, and so his retirement, his legacy was that he was going to build this new building, and then all the kids were going to show up when they built this huge new Ed building. They didn't have any kids to put in the building. They just took out a gigantic mortgage and built this big building, and then couldn't pay it. Nobody showed up, and uh, then he retired and said bye. And so the next day I came in, I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, actually, we have a plan. We're going to sell it to the Chinese church because they have lots of kids and they're built up and they're ready to go. And, and that seemed like a faithful thing to do. But they hadn't used wisdom. It isn't whether you build or not build. It's whether you sh it, it's, it's thinking about it a little bit, right? So wisdom, wisdom isn't doing more or doing less. It's doing more or less at the right time. And yes, you can kill yourself by being too bold. But honestly, if you look at the big picture, there are far more, there's a hundred places that are shriveling from not doing anything for every one that tanks from being too bold. I'd rather go down in flames than die slowly. That's my, that's my take on it. But anyways, thoughtfully and prayerfully acting boldly is usually what leads to success. It's what you see in the Bible. Right? It's what Jesus tells his disciples. 
He says, he, he tells them, don't take the talent you have and bury it in the ground because you're afraid of losing it. Take that, take the talent you got and, and do something with it. You know, remember there's three different ones. And, and one wagers a little, it doesn't get quite as good a response, but it's still better because he did something with it. And just hide it. That's what he tells his disciples. He doesn't say go willy-nilly. Think it through, pray it through, but then go. For the sake of building the kingdom, go. But to know when to spend and when to cut, that's an issue of wisdom. To know when to go and not go, that's an issue of wisdom. And it's a spiritual thing, I think, because it takes the spirit often to move us out of our default position. Whether our default is to be cautious or our default is to be impulsive, it often takes the spirit to either push us or hold us back because wisdom is something that isn't always right within ourselves. But if we act in the way that God has given us the gift to that is that way, we are more likely to be successful. And that is the spiritual gift of wisdom. Amen.